0: Hi, everyone. You're listening to Grit and Glamour, honest conversations about the grind toward the glow up that you don't see on the gram. Here, I interview inspiring leaders about the messiness behind the process as they achieve their goals and dreams. Because despite what social media might tell you, it's not all glamour, baby. I'm your host, Ruby Veridiano, and welcome to another episode of Grit and Glamour. Hello, everyone, and thank you for tuning in to another episode of Grit and Glamour. My name is Ruby Berriano, your host, and today we are going to be talking to Shola Adisa Farrar. She is a singer, a voice artist, um, creative strategist, and also a former Paris resident. uh, Shola Um, is now based out of Brooklyn, but she uh, moved here to France in 2011, uh, left in 2019, which I was very sad about. Uh, We'll talk about that another time. Um, But while in France, she had an opportunity to release her album, Lost Myself. It was the number one jazz album on iTunes France the first week that it released. It also got featured in a few UK and French magazines. and she also served as a cultural music ambassador for the U.S. Embassy. She uh, traveled uh, across nine tri- well, nine trips and visited seven countries in Africa, representing um, her music and also representing the U.S. But really. Uh, being able to serve as that cultural ambassador using music to really connect cultures together. Uh, She's been doing that since 2015. She was doing that since 2015. And Spike Lee chose one of her songs, Evolution, on uh, the first season of She's Gotta Have It on Netflix. So if you have watched that, you might've heard showless music. And um, she's also headlined shows in 15 countries across Africa, North America, Asia, and Europe. She has so many accomplishments, I had to write them all down. I couldn't memorize them all. I had to make sure that I got it right. Um, But anyway, I'm so glad to have Shola here. Shola is also my first friend in in Paris when I arrived. Uh, We um, connected over our shared roots in Oakland, California. So Shola, hi, how are you?
1: Hi. Thank you for
0: having me. I'm excited to have
1: this conversation and to see you and that we're matching on accident. We are matching on accident.
0: I think we also wanted, I think we were on the same wavelength in terms of what we wanted to bring today.
1: Yeah, for sure. I wanted to bring some sunshine to an otherwise kind of gloomy, difficult time period right now.
0: Yes. I wanted to also channel some joy and um, like you, sunshine, and really being able to continue accessing some form of joy in the midst of all the craziness. It's a very heavy time right now. And I hope that um, whoever is watching this is able to um, feel some light uh, in an otherwise very dark and difficult time. Um, Shola, you're in Brooklyn. Uh, You told me earlier that we might be hearing some noise.
1: Yeah, there's protests as there is all over the world, actually, Um, but there have been protests in Brooklyn every day um since last thursday night i think and so the neighborhood i live in which is sport green um uh, protesters passed by this area on the way to downtown because i'm close to downtown and yeah so i heard some things Yes, you know a little bit earlier so there might be some black lives matter chants we'll see (laughs)
0: which is completely welcome this is a black lives matter household
1: yeah Um, authentic to yeah what's happening
0: yeah yeah and it's just so um important to know that we can have this conversation right here in this moment um also being able to really talk and unpack our shared Paris experience because we've had so many conversations around what it actually you know is like living here contrary to maybe popular beliefs and narratives um, and romantization of Paris France um So just being able to have that conversation with you in this moment in time is also super special. So I'm glad that we can we can do that. Um, So given everything that's happening in the world, giving everything that's happening in America, I mean, I think really since 2016, when, you know, um, Voldemort, as I like to call him, which, which is like the <laughs> evil guy's name in Harry Potter, since he, wrote, he he got elected, I think a lot of people have been curious about wanting to explore life abroad, because people have been wanting to leave the United States, so I thought that we might want to give them some ideas on how to do that, so maybe, you know, you can share how you made your way over to France.
1: Um, yeah, well, I actually, um, first of all, I think I want to say when this president was elected, I never in a million years thought I would be moving back to this side of the Atlantic. Um, but it just so happened that <laughs> that's what happened. And that's kind of a decision I wanted to make to be closer to this community that I feel so uh, a part of. Um, but as far as moving to France, I was actually motivated by love. Um, and so... i Parisian. I know, so romantic. <laughs> until it wasn't. But anyway, I um, so I at the time when I decided that I wanted to move, it wasn't like a lifelong dream or something I had planned out for a long time. And I say that because there are, you know, like I didn't have a savings. I didn't have a plan. I didn't speak any French whatsoever. um, And I just didn't, I had never been to Paris before um, either. So I had to research ways, number one, like how could someone who doesn't speak the language and doesn't have technical um abilities to like live there how could i make this happen um and so i started off by like reaching out to everyone that i knew to ask them like if anyone had connections in france in paris and like is there something that i could be doing whatever long story short i found that there was an opportunity where i could become an au pair which is a live-in nanny um mm-hmm. and there's qualifications to be able to do that like you had to be under 30 i think it's still the same now Um, You've had to go to college and some of these other things and had to be willing, of course, to uh, take care of children in exchange for like a visa, spending money, a place to live and having this French experience. And so I thought that was a good way for me to get there because I had I'm an older sister um, as you are Ruby. And so like, I have had lots of experience taking care of kids. Plus I've like babysat all my life. So it felt like, okay, this is something I could definitely do. And then I'll be in a comforting environment, hopefully with a family that can just create a, you know, like introduce me to French culture in a real way and also make sure that legally I'm safe. Um, and so I, there was a, um, program that was based in New York and Paris, where they were doing au pair exchanges. And so I applied through that and they were like, okay, it's kind of a weird time because I think I applied in October and normally people start in August. And so they were like, okay, we're not really sure if we can find you anything and you speak no French, but we'll figure it out. And literally I decided at some point that I was like, I'm moving to France before my birthday. And, uh, which is January 23rd. And so December, they found a family that was interested in me and that wanted me to start in January. I interviewed with them and I got approved for the visa, the French visa in New York, literally January 22nd. I had already bought my ticket because I was like, I'm going to make it happen. And I'll just put my, you know, like, um, pause my ticket. If I don't, if it doesn't happen, it happened. And so I went (laughs) the next day and started my journey in Paris. So it was definitely through the au pair visa. And then after, um, I had that visa for like nine months. Um, and during that time, I realized there was other visas that I could take advantage of. And eventually I switched, uh, to a, to a different visa, which I still have now actually. And I've had a few different visa processes, but that was the original way that I was able to get to Paris.
0: Yeah. Because moving to another country is obviously so much more complicated than moving to another state. You really have to think about the legal ways that you can stay. Um, And just really briefly, I'm just going to quickly share how I got here, just in case people are interested in that. Sholo was actually my first contact in Paris, you know, as well. You know, I, a couple of friends, shared or mutual friends from Oakland had connected us while I was still living in Manila, Philippines. Um, And I said, you know, and unlike Sholo, Paris was a lifelong dream. It was like a dream that I was trying to create Create For like 10 years, like every year for 10 years, I was like researching, how do I make this happen? And by the time I finally got to Shola, I think I started to feel a little bit more comfortable about it becoming a potential reality but i came here via grad school um not everybody necessarily wants to go to grad school but the way that's how i came i went to the american university of paris because it had a master's program that was relevant to the work that i wanted to do and it was an english-speaking school but the student visa allowed me to be able to come here very quickly and easily Um, so yeah that's that that's how i got here so anyway Shola, we were uh, when we were discussing what uh, topic we were going to talk about during the show. You we were quite specific um, about wanting to talk about the not only the Black American experience of living in Paris, but the Black American artist experience living in Paris. Uh, why so? Uh,
1: because that really informed the experience that I had. Um, I of course, knew about Josephine Baker, who I just, I mean, it's yeah, actually a book Ruby gave me, gifted me um, last matches
0: year. with everything. On accident.
1: <laughs> um, ironically, a friend of mine from here sent me just kind of like a, wanted to give you some black excellence inspiration. And so he ha- he just sent me this postcard in the mail, you know, during this time. So anyway, I knew about Josephine Baker and she was one of the people that was on my wall when I was a little girl looking up black, black American singing references. I'm a singer. Yes, we said that already. (laughs) Um, And so for me, when I came to Paris originally, I had no intentions really of singing. I was still, when I was in New York, I was working, I had worked in the music industry behind the scenes Mm -hmm. um, and I was doing like project management work, but I had, I wasn't really, I wasn't pursuing music. I kind of got disillusioned by the music industry and wasn't really sure how I was going to, um, explore my life as a creative. I was doing more acting stuff and voiceover work at the time. But when I came here, I realized, okay, nobody knows me. They're listening to jazz music, which meant for me that I could perform music that wasn't my own, but it would give me an opportunity to share my voice. Where at the time in New York, I felt like everyone was like, who are you as an artist? And I was like, I don't know. I'm just a singer right now. Like I didn't have all of that figured out. So Paris was a place where like my voice could come through and I could figure it out. And so for me, it's such a huge part of my experience in France because the kind of freedoms that I was given uh, creatively and just kind of psychologically to unwind was because at some point I made a transition and um, introduced myself and positioned myself as an artist. And so that kind of helped people place me and also have high expectations for me. Um, Because... A lot of the people who come to Paris or in the past who've come to Paris have been creative that I just kind of fell in line, to be quite honest. I kind of fell in line with the stereotype of what a black American in Paris is doing. Mm -hmm. And for me, that was actually pretty positive because people had really high expectations of what I could do. Mm -hmm. Unlike, again, in New York, where I felt like it was always show and prove in Paris, it was like, oh, we know you're going to be good. We just can't wait. And I was like, oh, you know, I'm someone who works on positive affirmation. I'm not one of those people who are like, I'll prove you wrong. Like, that's not really what motivates me. So that kind of positive expectation for me to be something great really helped improve my confidence um, and helped me feel comfortable exploring and just in general outside of being Black, um, the idea in Paris is that art and the creative process is indeed a process. It's not just about the final result. It's really about living this artist's life and going, you know, kind of feeling it out. And so that really sat well with me because I was literally figuring it out and I did not have anything figured out. And so the fact that I was in an environment that nurtured that and supported that process really, really contributed to everything that I was able to do because I just felt comfortable to do it and so that's why to me it was important to talk about being an artist because that was something that was like I don't know if you say a golden chip on my shoulder it was like something that helped me it was it was kind of like a calling card not only was I American which was positive and there's, there's a preface when I moved there Obama was the president so Generally speaking, black Americans all over the world had a better, you know, there's a better perception of Americans because of Obama. And like, yeah, it doesn't matter what your political swing is, that's just a fact. And so the fact that he was the president at the time and I moved there, people were already like happy about black Americans and had a better perception of Americans in general but then on top of it the fact that I was black American was like oh you're coming to our country to contribute something that was the idea Mm
0: -hmm. Uh, can we unpack that that a little bit because you're talking about this expectation and what is it about being um, a black American that the French automatically assumes oh you're gonna bring something over here what can you share a little bit more about that Well, because in the history
1: of France and African-Americans, we did, you know, like the first African-Americans that came to Paris were during World War One and they came as soldiers. Um, So they were fighting for kind of like the justice and peace of things. And also, in addition to like, you know, they got the highest these soldiers, these groups of soldiers got like the highest awards there were in France and were really uh, beloved by the French people. But in addition to what they fought for physically being there, they also brought music and culture. Mm. And everyone knows one of the things that are most transported around the world is African-American culture. We might call it American culture, but at the end of the day, it's African-American culture, which is the music, which is the style, which is all of these different types of things that's exported all over the world. And so France is no different from being influenced by that, by that, that culture. Um, And so You know, the soldiers came and they brought the beginnings of jazz and then the second wave of African-Americans came with World War Two or between actually before that, uh, when people like Josephine Baker came or traveled to Paris in in 1925. and like Richard Wright and James Baldwin came in the 40s. Mm. So there was always this sense that Black people who came to Paris had some creativity and intellect that they were contributing to the social and cultural, Fabric. Spirit, yeah, yeah uh, of Paris. Mm. Uh, and, you know, French people are pretty intellectual and like to discuss topics and debate. And so even writers and intellectuals have a real place in French culture because they're you know they're contributing to the dialogue which right. is seen as something as as very important in, in french cultural minds so mm-hmm. that's kind of the expectation is that as an african-american you're definitely going to bring something either culturally through music or dance or whatever or intellect and or intellectually through how you're thinking about things way you're processing things um and then the last little part i'll say about that too is that French people take pride in, and it's controversial. I mean, not this idea, but French people have taken pride in providing a space, a safe space mm. for African-Americans when they didn't have it in the U.S. Mm. Um, and obviously, African-American, the African-American population does not represent Black people in France because there's a
0: very, there's We're different. we discuss money. that later. Yep.
1: Yeah, we'll talk about that later. But that is the other thing is that Uh, French people feel like, and and then he did for many, you know, in many aspects, provided a safe haven for African Americans to go. So it was only, it wasn't only like, we're welcoming you, but you're also going to bring something like it's a mutually beneficial relationship. And so I think that's the positive expectation that was bestowed on me when I went there. And I definitely benefited from that.
0: Yeah. And I think that's a good uh, way to kind of talk, like really ground us in the topic that we're talking about today, which is, you know, what are the privileges of being a Black American abroad versus also living in that dichotomy of having that privilege, but then also having the setbacks of being in America? Um, yeah. Can you share more about your experience in that dichotomy? Well, I think it's just kind of that. Like I said, I, I not being
1: from France, there was nothing that felt off limits to me because I don't know the social rules or social cues. You know, like when you're from a place, like being black in, I'm from Oakland. I was born in Oakland, California. And then I lived in New York, you know, when I went to college. So you kind of learn really quickly where you belong and where you don't belong. Just there's invisible lines of physical communities and spaces where you feel like, okay, There's not other people who look like me here. And this is probably not where I'm supposed to be for whatever reason. So the fact that I was outside of the culture coming into France, I came there like I got a passport and I can do what I want. And in the positive way, like I, I, I grew up, you know, I understand there's American kind of sense of like, I own anywhere I go and I definitely don't come from that place, but um, I just, moved around without feeling like I didn't belong anywhere because I didn't belong anywhere. Being mm. the fact that I was American, there was nowhere that I belonged. So I felt like nowhere was more or less off limits than anywhere else.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, and so that's a, that's a huge kind of difference between being in the States where you know, whether you want to intentionally break the invisible invisible barriers, you know what they are, you know, and I didn't really know. And so I just kind of move through France like that. And and also I learned pretty quickly that obviously from the color of my skin, you don't know whether I'm, uh, you know, of African origins from the continent or from one of the French Antilles Islands. But as soon as I spoke, um, you know, later I became fluent in French, but as soon as I spoke, it was like, oh, you're American, you're different, okay. There's another, there's a different way we'll treat you. And I benefited from that. And that felt weird, you know, because on one hand, it was like, um, I, you know, of course I want to be treated well, but the fact that my Americanness made it so that you treat me differently than the other members of the black community in France is not okay. You know, and so just being reminded um, of that and just knowing the difference of what's going on. And like I said, kind of. Ultimately, one of the reasons why I wanted to come back to the U.S. is because I didn't feel like I was a part of the struggles that were happening. And it's ironic because I didn't plan to move here and then there'd be this whole thing that's happening right now.
0: Well, <laughs> but, now you're part of it. I'm
1: right in of it, a Big time. I had no way of knowing, but I did have this pulling. And it's something that James Baldwin talks about a lot, like this sense of like, I'm living the good life somewhere else, but my people are struggling, you know? Mm-hmm. And I kind of started to feel that way too. And it, I don't feel like I have to struggle. And by all, no means am I struggling in the U.S. Like, Let's be clear. I have a good amount of privilege, but the idea is that there's something happening and I want to contribute to the place that I came from and be a part of the movement that's happening there. Um, mm-hmm. And I don't want to escape life there because I can you know, I didn't feel that sense about it. And um, so that kind of brings us back to the first question where you're saying people are like, I got to get out of here. And I, I agree with that. Like, it's important. I just think it, as a learning experience, it's important to live abroad and no place is perfect, but there are definitely places that are kinder to African-Americans than America. And I think a lot of Black Americans don't necessarily think about that. They assume that the way we're treated in this country is representative of how we're treated everywhere else. And that's absolutely, it couldn't be further from the truth. Yeah. Uh, with that, if you are somewhat conscious or woke, <laughs> you there is this real dichotomy of like, blackness in those places, how it operates, Um, and your blackness being seen in different ways in different places, because in France, it's cultural capital.
0: Yeah, well, and it's just so interesting because, I mean, we're both, um, you know, you come from Jamaica originally, my parents come from the Philippines, so in the States, I'm looked at first as Filipina or Asian American, or Asian first, but outside of that, I'm viewed as American first. So like there is this kind of social currency that comes with an American accent where we can kind of um, somehow access different types of doors that we wouldn't necessarily be able to open in the US which is very interesting. Um, And then also mobility. Uh, Having an American passport, I don't think a lot of people in the States realize how actually important having an American passport is because now that we're abroad and we're traveling, we could be traveling from somebody who comes from even the Philippines and we could go to London. You know, as most people know, you can take a Eurostar train, which takes you to London in under two hours. Mm -hmm. And as an American, you can buy that train ticket right then and there and just have a pass through. But if you're from the Philippines, having a Philippine passport or maybe another African passport. You can't do that. You have visa restrictions. Yeah. So that mobility is a huge amount of uh, of privilege in regards to just the ability to move around.
1: Yeah. I love that you said that. And I think you know, Americans are notorious for not traveling, you know, compared to like Europeans, for example, who are all over the place. And obviously their countries are much smaller than America in general, mm-hmm. but it's a huge privilege that we don't take advantage of. And I think my time in Paris, I basically tried to take advantage of everything I could. Like if that was a point for me, cause I'm American, so be it. I'm going to use that and make these moves this way. Like I'm really taking advantage of the advantages that I had there, but maybe did not have here, you know? Um, and so that's really important. And I think you're right. I was, ne- I, I ne- I'm not patriotic, but, um, not, but, and so I've never been considered, I never felt like I was considered to be an American. And when I traveled with my mom growing up, we would always say we were Jamaican because we just thought the image of Americans were so horrible. You know, like we just didn't really, you know, in that way really wanted to be associated as the first thing. Pe- and, and honestly, that's not the first thing people saw anyway, but in, in France, that was the first thing people always like, oh, you're American or I would do something. And they're like, that's cause you're American. And it was so interesting to represent a country that I never felt represented me or even included my voice.
0: Yeah. But know? then realizing how also American we actually are mm-hmm. oh because it's also a very different experience uh-huh. being a woman of color in America versus uh-huh. being a woman of color that's grown up in France or Australia or London. You know, just the, the the fact that we were raised under the influence of the civil rights movement has also given us a very special way of looking at the world and also coming, uh, having roots in Oakland. You're from Oakland. I'm not from Oakland, but I spent a lot of time there and um, just having that kind of Oakland ex- perspective. Yeah, and which is a
1: very, which Oakland is a very activist and artist experience in one. You know, they're not, it's like, it's, it's, they're together.
0: They're together. That's, yeah.
1: That's the environment that I was raised in a very, like, my parents are artists and professors, which is that kind of thing is like creativity and like educating yourself and empowering yourself to make a difference and contribute to the world. And so that's really my reference point. And so I think that American Bay Area thing that you're talking about is that that activism, which in France, I'd be like, we'd be looking at things like, what are y'all doing? Like, stand up. Like, this is. <laughs> you need to do more. And so I'm so happy, like you guys are having these protests right now. Um, you know, cap, not capitalizing, but taking advantage of the moment where so much is being paid attention to, you know, police brutality and injustices towards the black community. But that was something that I was, I was really frustrated with at certain times. I was just kind of like, what are y'all doing Mm. as the minority communities? Why aren't you guys doing more? And it's a completely different history coming from the United States. And although we have a far way to go, we've come a further way than some of the populations in France have come or are still working to fight towards. And so yeah. that brought with it also
0: a really right. different- well, Because race is a very open conversation in the United States. Whereas, <sighs> well, I mean, it's a more it's open- than it been- some acknowledgement, right. <laughs> and
1: yeah, I, and I feel like I know where you're going with it. Like in, in France, there's not census based on race. You're French. And actually, you know, the guy that I fell in love with, the reason that I moved there, he was Black. And he is Black. He's still alive. (laughs) Um, And when I met him, he said his name. And he was like, I'm French. And I was like, "Okay," And it was fine. And he really moved through the, the, like, I'm French. And I never went anywhere. I never said I'm American. It's always African-American, Jamaican-American. There's always some prefix. And so that idea of, like, you know, how people are like, I don't see color, which is not possible. It means you're colorblind. But that idea is like France in some ways tries to erase this sense of like, there's differences, you know, they don't right, really right. count it. So in a community, right. you know, in, in different communities in France, they don't know, people know because they just know socially, but you don't know, there's no numbers to say, this is a 50%, you know, North African population. This is a 20%, yeah. you know, we don't, they don't have those everywhere. numbers. that well, french and so it kind of erases the individual um like you know segregation and injustice that certain populations uh, experience and also sense of uh, it also creates a false sense of national identity that most people there don't subscribe to or even experience but it's some you know it's just a way that so in that way i understand you saying that race is not something people talk about cuz the idea is like we're just french and
0: it's like so on the flip side of that though because we've had extensive conversations on like the argument of diversity and inclusion US versus France yeah. i mean i also fell in love with a guy here who was 100% asian like me yeah. but also identified with being french you yeah. know and i was like what what do you mean you know like i'm asian american and he was like why and so i would always say stuff like you know um it, in Asian American studies class, he was like, why do you call it, why do you have to call it Asian American? Why can't it just be Asian uh, American history? Mm-hmm. So on the flip side, there is also there's this um, yeah. the way that they think about diversity and inclusion is very inverse to the way that we think about it. And um, whether or not I agree with it, I also can't, I don't feel as a person living, you know, as a foreigner living here, I can necessarily police how no. someone self-identifies because that's their identity. We have a very different context, yeah. but maybe you can help me explain the diversity and inclusion thing, because, you know, uh, you know, as in America, right, like there's, we, we pride ourselves on being able to uh, recognize all the different communities, you know, the yeah. Black American community, the Latinx community, Asian American community, la la la. But in France, uh, their version of inclusion is being recognized as a French person because they have been othered, right? Right. So.
1: Um, yeah, I mean, I think obviously all these communities have had different experiences in the US. I think that just stemmed from like, well, I can only speak to the black experience black people were excluded from so much that they had to create their own. So there's no way, if you have your own complete communities, there's no way you can say, and and also black people didn't have the same rights as Americans, uh, you know, as far as the right to vote or go to certain places and whatever. So that sense of national identity doesn't even make sense historically because there was no, we're all American. It was like, these are white Americans and they get to do certain things. You're the other and you can, figure out what you're going to do over there. Right. Um, And so that alone just created a different because we've had, you know, in America, we've had a history of segregated experiences. So in that sense, to just actually wipe that away makes no sense. It just, you know, and and I think that's kind of the tension that we're in right now is that uh, we all know what's happening, but people are not acknowledging like there is really a different experience. Like it's not being politically and universally acknowledge that there's a different experience and there's segregations that happen on a daily basis that change the experience and future experiences of Black families and Brown families and every other family, you know? And so without acknowledging that, we can't make change. And I think Mm -hmm. that's kind of what's happening now. Um, In France, and I think this is really the biggest difference is like the history of slavery versus the history of colonization. Colonization is all about... We're taking over your stuff and adopting you. You kind of have to conform to what we're doing, right? Which is which is completely different than slavery. Slavery is like you do this thing. Um, it's just a, it's just a completely different form of domination and and racism. And so I think that context of colonization, what that puts in people's minds is you need to assimilate to this way of being. And so it makes sense then when. Um, people from African countries come to France, their idea is that I just have to become more French. It's not like I, I don't stand up. My own identity and my own cultural way is less important, um, and is definitely devalued. And so the way that I'm surviving is assimilating to this culture. And I think that's the French mentality, you know, like France has <laughs> colonize a lot of the world, not just Africa, right? Um, and so the idea is assimilation. And and you'll see when you go to African countries, because I've been to a lot of French African countries, there's a lot of French culture that is now their culture, which is not traditionally their country or African culture at all. Um, Vietnam. I've never been to Vietnam,
0: but I heard the same thing.
1: And it's because of colonization, which is you need to conform to our way is better, you absorb it to us. That's the idea. And so people of color, from all over the world, from formerly colonized countries, come to France and that's the idea is like, we need to fit in. Um, right. And so there is not, and then from the French side, there is not this um, celebration really of differences because the idea is you're supposed to, our way is better and you're supposed to be French and this is what French people do. So adjust, adapt,
0: right. do it. Well, remember the World Cup fiasco, right? Yeah. We, we yeah. oh my gosh, we, di- we talked this to, death like for like weeks and I had to have conversations with you know French people about this because I was seeking to understand right because essentially a lot of the people on the French national team were first generation um, coming from mostly African countries so Trevor Noah stirred up this whole controversy about how essentially Africa had won the world cup um, and so that kind of, you know, we were talking a lot about that because is that right? Is that wrong? Because then also the French, the players that he was talking about that was like, you know, um, African players, they were also saying like, wait a second, no, I'm French. Yeah. Right. So, and, and we, and I think that what we, at the time, what, what we had, the consensus that we reached is it's nuanced. It's just different. Uh-huh. It's whole
1: is very nuanced and it's and,
0: a, it's not a one size fits all situation but the
1: problem with that that the other thing that came up in that conversation not only how the players identify but how french media depicted what was happening when a team was losing they would be like oh this uh senegalese football player who's on the french team is you know did this score versus when they're winning oh frank the french player no 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 and so there was definitely a sense of value like if you were winning, you were definitely French. If you weren't, your origin came up all of a sudden. You're like, wait, what? what yeah, yeah, yeah. Before last week, when he won that game, he was French, and now, you know, so that it's it's really it's oh, complicated it's, in France.
0: It's Very complicated. And,
1: I and that hopefully they're just like being, you know, owning up to this complicated conversation that is in France. It's like you're not a haven. <laughs> like yeah. there's a lot of stuff that's going down, and and yeah, it it is really complicated.
0: So we're, we're seeing some uh, uh, media outlets saying that France um, showed up in solidarity with the Black Lives Matter movement. Um, what are your thoughts about that, and what you know that you know what that actually is or means?
1: Well, you know, I, one of the things I loved about living in France too, is that I got such a diversity of media coverage, which we don't get in the United States. So being that now I'm connected to France, I have my French friends sending me stuff and I know what to look for. Um, and yeah, yeah, okay. French people showed up for black lives matter, but I think French people were also showing up for the black lives that were lost by police brutality in France, you know, and I think there's a lot of. Um, you know, from the international standpoint, it's like, oh, all of these countries are supporting France, but I think these countries also, not sorry, all of these countries are supporting the Black Lives Matter movement in the U.S., but I think a lot of these countries, countries rightfully so, took advantage of a moment where to say, we have issues too. Like, I had a friend in Toronto... Because I was sending a, a, a text to a friend, like, aren't you happy to live on that side of the border? He was like, We have our problems too. And so there was a that day it happened to be there was a protest with thousands of people coming out to protest a police uh, killing in Canada. And so, in the same with France, I don't remember the young man's name who got killed in 2016 by police in France, but people really took advantage of that moment and that's what they were protesting. It wasn't necessarily like, okay U.S. and I'm sure some of it was but I know the black people the black community in France was like let's take advantage of this moment to be like hello France you guys are doing the same stuff too don't act no. like it's just in the U.S. it's very convenient to make it seem like oh the U.S. is they've always dealt with so many race issues and we're just like the model country and it's like no no, no yeah not so. it's just no attention on it and so I felt happy and proud that This was a moment that people were able to use in London, in Manchester, in Paris and other parts of the world to highlight what's happening in their own countries. And say, "Okay, if you think black lives matter, if those people in the U.S. have the right to stand up, what about our communities here in your own country?
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I think there's also like there was this French journalist that was talking about how, you know, French media and France in general doesn't want to acknowledge the fact that racism happens in their country because of the fact that it's colorblind. Yeah. Um, and so her saying that, like, basically the, the collective consciousness in France is that, oh, racism, that's an American thing that yeah. only happens in America. So there's yeah. all of this kind of weird, like, romanticization around that, too. Like, they love to watch movies about slavery slavery and like base relations in America, but they don't want to own up to the fact that, hey, guess what? This country also has this form of domination. It was
1: not even also, the originators. Hello? The originators. Triangle, slave trade, France, y'all were the people taking people all over the place. Hello, That's why there's so many colonies because y'all were, you are still in so many African countries. So yeah, the lack of acknowledgement always blows my, I mean, it's not surprising, but I just, again, I, I, I wanna be hopeful and believe that like hopefully these layers of conversation will start to happen where everyone, all these countries, not just the US but France and Britain start to take, Portugal, Spain start to take ownership of their implicit uh, role in slavery and also racism that takes place all over the world.
0: Yeah, 100%. Now, um, I would love to go back to like kind of maybe you explaining the Black French community because I think that one of the questions that I remember getting when I first arrived here was like, oh, what's like the, what?" um, by another person who was a Black American who came in and there was like, oh, what's the Black community here? Like, is there like a big solidarity thing? Is there a big community? And I did at the time, I didn't really know how to answer that because I was still quite new. But as I understand, uh, there's not necessarily the same kind of unified black movement um, as it as it happens in the U.S., as it is in France. And maybe you can help me break down why that is.
1: Um, Yeah, well, I think there is a different like I said, there's a difference in experience. There's formerly colonized African countries. Uh, that speak French or Francophone countries so they have a different experience Um, and then there is just as far as like if I just could be really basic about the different types of Black people there are in France so there are those people who are from like uh, Burkina Faso, Senegal, uh, Congo, the Ivory Coast, those kind of countries and then there's people from French Antilles who I mean, depending on how you think about it, who might still be colonized uh, from like Guadeloupe and Martinique and French Guyana. Um, And they have a different relationship because they're considered French. Like they have a French passport and like they go through the same French schooling system like versus a colonized uh, African country, which is a completely different experience altogether. Um, And so I think based on your, where you're from, determines what kind of community you feel akin to, you know, mm-hmm. because someone who's from Guadeloupe has a completely different experience being black than someone who's from Senegal or yep. from, you know, yep. like they just have a complete or North Africa, which that's a whole different uh, conversation as well. Oh. And also mixing with religion versus like Muslim and all that. It oh,
0: a that's a whole different, different episode. Uh,
1: so that's the basic, you know, Whereas in the United States, I mean, I'm from Caribbean origin and my mom is the one who immigrated to the United States. And when she moved here, you know, her Caribbean people were telling her bad things about African-Americans. So there is a lot of that too. Like the Caribbean community is different from the Black American, just strictly Black American community in the US that is uh, tied together by the similar experience of slavery, even though there was slavery in the, the Caribbean islands as well. But in France, I think it's even more differentiated based on your country. Um, and that black people started coming to mainland France much later than black people were. Well, so black people created the United States of America through slavery, but the, the, the um, history of black people coming to mainland France is way more recent than Black people have been on the United States. And a lot
0: of people still have their, um, they know where their roots are. Their first, a lot of them are first generation or second generation and they have passports coming from these uh, different national identities that they have, which is very different from the Black American experience where they
1: can't even trace. No, exactly, exactly. And so that completes, that creates a whole different sense of allegiance when you, like allegiance and kind of ignorance, like we don't know what our, you know, this art history starts here because we don't really know how we can trace it back to the continent versus people who are like, no, I have distinct cultural references, memories, land, whatever, from this specific country, this specific tribe within this country. Mm. That's a different relationship. And so grouping all Black people together in France does not work and cannot work the same way that it could in the United States because there's Mm. more... There's, there, there's, it's more common that people have a more common experience yeah. uh, being Black in America than they did than they do in, in France, where people can really trace where they came from and what their experiences were. Yeah, that's
0: such an important, I think, um, uh, point to make and like a, uh, um, a differentiating factor. For sure. So there's not like the
1: Black Lawyers Association or there's not Black sororities and fraternities or Black universities, like all those things you know, again, because out of need, black people created things separate, but equal, Um, experiences which group them together and made them have a common experience. Those things don't exist in France. So there isn't a sense of allegiance based on color because that's Mm -hmm. never been the way that people have been grouped. They've been grouped nationally. So it makes sense that it's a little bit more fragmented in that sense.
0: So interesting. Yeah, I find it um, super interesting too. Yeah, I I feel like, man, I just want to do a show on this. But... <laughs> <A lot harder. laughs> well, so um, obviously people um, do have a very uh, glamorous uh, perception of Paris, which is also for a lot of times, you know, true in some ways. So let's yeah. step into that really quickly, because there's yeah. a reason why you stayed here for eight years and why I've been here for almost seven years. And why even though things were hard in terms of like administrative stuff here. For me, like I've continued to fight being here because of the life that we get to live in France, especially as people with American accents. Yeah. Um, so I mean, yeah. What, what did you love about living here?
1: Yeah, I would just say French culture, the lifestyle aspect of French culture, I really, really appreciate oh, it. You know, yeah. I would say in the US, we're working, we're living to work. And in France, they're working to live like, vacation is extremely important, you know, just like work life balance. People are protesting about that. Like that's extremely important. Like it's
0: an expectation, not like a bonus. (laughs)
1: Exactly. Like that's just like a human, you know, like a national right, you know? And I love that. Like just the fact that you're supposed to spend time with family and when work is done, work is over. And also that work is not the totality of who you are. Like it's not, it's actually taboo less so now. But when I moved there, it was really, really taboo to ask people what they did for work. Like, you just didn't do it because you're not summing someone up by what they do for work. And so it would be something that I would have to learn, like, after meeting somebody, it'd be something I would learn over time. Whereas in the U.S., like, that's one of the first three questions.
0: Especially in New York, that's a very stark... Yeah, it's because you just,
1: you're just you just sizing someone up. You're trying to understand someone and what they do is how you understand them or, you know, how you place them socio socioeconomically, like it helps set up class, all the things. Where in France, that wasn't part of the conversation, which was something that I, um, I mean, it's part of my conversation because I'm a creative and that's part of how I live. But just in general, that was something that I appreciated. And just kind of the simple pleasures, like mm. that I get a fresh baguette every day at the Boulangerie and it'd be one euro, you know what I mean? And yeah.
0: And things that are considered luxurious in America are very accessible here. Yeah. So champagne, when we were here, we drank, cham- I mean, I still drink champagne, you know, pretty yeah, regularly because like, yeah. it's accessible. We can grab a bottle of champagne and take it to the Seine. And there we have it. We have the most luxurious afternoon without having to spend any money. I here.
1: Like I brought that part of French culture with me, like that it doesn't have to be a big celebratory stuff. Like let's just have champagne. Let's just, do this, let's have a glass of wine and all of those things. And and just taking your time. That's something that ultimately I also did not like, but the sense of taking your time and there being a process towards things um, and just enjoying the moment was something that I always really-
0: Yeah, I mean, the l'art de vivre, right? It's like really the art of life. It's about like really, essentially it's mindful mindfulness because yeah now I could just be perfectly happy having just a cup of coffee on my courtyard. And like, that's totally free. Like, you yeah. know, like I, I make the coffee at home, but I can just sit there and have a moment to myself without feeling like I need to rush it. It's like, no, I'm going to take my time to enjoy this pleasurable moment. Yeah. And,
1: and yeah. I mean, that's what I always told people who'd come to visit, like in the U S when you go to a restaurant, for example, like as soon as your meal's done, you need to get up, go, like, you're not making us any more money. In France, you can get, you know, a 2 euro, I guess, espresso or something, a cafe, and you could sit there all day and, like, write in your journal, people watch, whatever, and no one is going to move you. And so just that idea of, like, being, like you said, mindful and present and enjoying the moment you have now. And it does not have to be luxurious. You don't have to go to a spa to do nothing. You could do that every day at your neighborhood cafe, you yeah. know? And I really, really appreciated that and really bring that with me now. And, yeah. Um, yeah.
0: And the art of the French dinner. I feel like that's something that's super. Yeah, remarkable. the ceremonial part of it.
1: I, lo- I what I really loved was the ceremony of France. Like, you know, contrary to what I said about like this is a way to become French as a foreigner. For me, that was really comforting. Like, I, <laughs> I can't imagine coming to to America and like there's so many ways to do things. You don't you don't really know how to kind of adopt American culture. But in France, it's very clear there's certain things you do there's a certain way you eat the aperitif the digestive and this and that and you have bread you find
0: dining at home
1: yeah and it's like all across the board in every french family more or less and i just i loved the i like ceremony um i like that's the kind of person i am so having ceremonial meals whether i was in the south of france or in paris was always something that i really really appreciated
0: And Americans always um, get shocked and surprised that these dinners take like six hours Um, again. And the concept of time. So I tried to make this French dinner for my family once when I came home for Christmas and my family was like, all right, what's next? What's next? Like, can we wrap it up? We got stuff to do. And I was like, how did you scarf down a six course meal in under an hour? I was very disappointed. But it's just like the speed of life in the U.S. is just it's all work, work, work. Yeah, we don't think about it. I was fortunate enough to
1: be raised in a family where my mom insisted that we sat at the table, no phones allowed, no TV, you know, and my friends thought we were weird, but it was like, and at points as a teenager, I was like, mom, my phone, what are you doing? But I love it and I so appreciate it and want to pass that on to my family. But so it was it was easy for me. And like I said, it was something that I really enjoyed. Like, I'm like, Ooh, we get to sit at the table and like have this whole moment and like just be present with each other. I don't have anything else I need to do and why not? I really, really appreciate that part about French culture for sure.
0: So now let's talk about, since the show is called Grit and Glamour, we've talked about the glamour. What's the, let's talk about the less glam, the grit stuff that we kind of have to put up with living in France. I mean, again, it's all worth it. That's why we stayed for so long, Mm -hmm. but what are, I mean, you ultimately decided to leave. So what are some of the things that, you know, made, made you decide that it was time for you to go?
1: I had a really wonderful experience in Paris. And like I said, I still have legal rights to live and work there, so I might come back. You know, I (laughs) planned my life six months in advance, if I could tell you that. So I was like, I'm gonna leave for six months and see how I feel. But one of the things that I was feeling, like uh, artistically, I felt like I reached a plateau. Like I felt like I was pushing people to think bigger and more creatively than they were. And one of the things that's always been a drag to me about France is the lack of acceptance to share joy which is funny because we talked about that now you know that people are very like which is just like yeah I'm okay like there's you you, I feel like you're not really allowed to get excited about so many
0: things oh they never get excited everything is like oh pas mal," which is like not bad not not bad I hate that it's like if it's good it's good if it's great it's great and French people always
1: make fun of Americans like oh everything's amazing amazing but I'm like and it's true, we probably overuse that word, but there's some things that are amazing. And why do I want to dumb it down with pas mal, ça va? Like, that's not good enough. Right. You and know, it's like, a is a national sport. Yeah. So I just didn't, I felt like I didn't want, I wanted to be expansive and full. And also, um, in France, there's a lot of no's before yes. It's like papa si, it's like, papa si. It's like it's not. Papa, si. And I'm like, really? I just want to switch out my spinach for my string beans. No, it's but pussy, but you have spinach on the menu. No. No. And that's just a silly example, but it feels like everything is like that. It's always a no before yes. And it's like, you have to fight for it. And I don't mind working hard for something, but like, no, just for no sake. No, like part of me being a creative strategist is that I think creatively of how to solve a problem. And so if I'm blocked at every way, just because the status quo is to say no, I'm going to be frustrated. And I'm like, I've always had the idea that if I can conceive it, I can achieve it, you know, Mm. or that's part of the things that people said made me American. I'm like, I can, I can do anything I want to do. And again, not in an arrogant way, but if I believe it, why not? Why not? You know, and I don't want to feel like my hands are tied because bureaucracy or just because no one has seen it or imagined it that I can't endeavor to pursue to do it. Um, and so I just didn't want to fight that fight. Like there's life is hard enough. I didn't want to have to fight with people when I'm like, I know it's possible because I've lived it. I see it. But I that's also it. the
0: American dream, right? We came from the culture of the American dream where everything is possible. And then right. we come to a land where nothing is possible.
1: possible, where they're like, nah, this is the way it is. This is your type box. Stay in it. You'll enjoy the benefits of this box, but this is still your box. Yeah. And I'm like, mm. Clearly, if I moved here, I'm already not in a box. So how am I going to stay in something that I've already left? All right, you know, I'm going to be creating new boxes and new things. So um, that was part of it was more like the mentality over time that felt exhausting. And just creatively as an artist, I could see how the things that I achieved, I could keep doing it on a wheel and it not growing bigger. And like I said, I wanted to be in a community, a more expansive community where people said, okay, like you did jazz, but now you want to do something else. Why not? Let's try to figure that out. Or you've traveled to all these African countries and you're Jamaican and you didn't, let's figure that out instead of like, "Mm, nah, that's a problem. I'm not sure you could just keep doing this loop and that's good enough. And I'm like, no, I'm an ambitious person. I'm driven. I always want to think about ways to express myself and show up bigger and contribute more. And so there was ways that I wanted to contribute more and I felt like I was doing in France after 8 years.
0: So I want to point that out because I feel like that's the 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 downside of this lifestyle, the ease in the lifestyle, right? They pr- prioritize a lifestyle but then at the same time it's not a good place for someone who wants to grow and be ambitious because the priority is lifestyle and enjoying life and having vacations versus getting things done. There's no sense of urgency and yeah. there's also a resistance to change. So that's exactly. it the status quo and like, absolutely. The-
1: I think it's my dream, I think is like three months of pair in Paris of the year, working there, still doing my projects, which I still do. Luckily I have projects that I still do in France, but yes. be, to get that sense yes. of a lifestyle and to be able to create and be on my artistic journey and then come back to the U S or wherever else and actually do the work and actually like execute the plan, you know, but Paris is a great place to inspire and to just like, Think about it and feel it out, but as far as like if you want to be a change agent, it's not not possible. And I don't want to like you know want to be
0: French about it, but
1: <laughs> yeah. And I also I also don't want to you know. There's plenty of people who are making moves in France, so I don't want to say I don't want to like put down what is being done. But generally speaking, it is going to be harder to invent new ideas or propose new possibilities in France than in other places. Yeah. And actually, I mean, it's it's also trackable. Like when I, I was teaching English at certain points and there was an article that I would always reference to about how many businesses, like how many entrepreneurs left France to go to Europe, uh, sorry, to go to like London or parts of the US to start their businesses because new businesses were not encouraged here. Entrepreneurial inventors. Uh, adventures were not encouraged here. And so people, even French people who wanna do new things and create new opportunities don't necessarily stay there to do that.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's a very, there's no urgency. Yeah. Uh, So if you, I I feel like we had this conversation before where like, as you were saying, um, France is a good place to incubate your ideas and elsewhere is where you execute, you know whether that's the US or Asia or elsewhere. Yeah. Um, so I think that's a really good point for us to break down because I feel like sometimes people come here and they have this like picture of what a dream life it is. And it is, it just depends on what your priorities are. So if you're here and you're specifically moving here because you want to change your lifestyle or you want to start a family and you're and yeah, leave you your
1: family, take a break, like rest, <laughs> it's a yeah. wonderful place or create and just think it's a wonderful place or try new, you know, try new things for yourself. It's a
0: good place to do that. Um, but when it comes to growing and, and you know getting things done,
1: it might not be the place for you for the long haul.
0: Yeah, yeah, okay. So the next topic I want to talk about is actually um, you know, our third culture identity, which I think is kind of hard to explain for me when I try to talk to talk about it with my friends from home because it's a very unique kind of global citizen identity. Um, Because, of course, we have our dual identities of being you being Jamaican and also American, me being Filipina and also American. And then we have that duality, right, of being both. But then there's this other thing, the third culture thing that comes from just having an international experience. Like we have lived in France um, and also visited so many other countries. So we have this other international lens. And that also brings about a different identity. Yeah. Um, yeah
1: I'm still. Try- we talked about this a few weeks ago about trying to i'm trying to write my story i'm trying to figure out how to encapsulate all of the experiences that i have and saying who i am you know because it is a pretty unique experience and um my travels internationally not only living abroad in france but traveling throughout the continent um, and other places like Kazakhstan and really <laughs> being up in there, like it really changes my perspective on things. And so, um, it's definitely a unique position, a unique position to be in. And I, I don't know how to explain it to
0: people. Yeah. It's just Well, one, we can maybe do an example, right? Because yeah. we, 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 had this struggle just, as you said, a few weeks ago, when we present ourselves, we have a very unique, um, dilemma, because the way we we uh, some people well, most people who are doing their elevator pitch right if they live in America they they probably perfected that elevator pitch yeah. and it might be shocking for a performer and a storyteller to struggle with that but <laughs> you know like but I think the, the unique issue that we have is that we are constantly in different cultural spaces and cultural contexts so the way that I would introduce myself to an Asian contact versus a French contact versus an American contact is all different. And that's why it gets really confusing because in America, you want to stand out. You want to like be as like, this is who I am. But if you do that in France, people are not going to respond well to you. And even in Asia, there's a little, there's a different way that you present yourself. That's more about humility and collective mindfulness. So even that alone is a dilemma that most that not everybody has
1: (laughs) yeah there's a real sensitivity that we have to cultures and it's just what it is and so when you have that awareness and sensitivity you also and when you're actively working with different cultures you're like you're actively working with parts of that Asian community I'm actively working with all these different communities I have to adjust to how I will be best received because I want to communicate well with people. My goal is not to just be like, Shella. this is it, take it or leave it. Like, no, I want to have an exchange. And so that means I have to take you where you are and be sensitive to your cultural norms and figure out how can I best fit into this landscape, you yeah. know? And so it is a challenge. I mean, like, I love it. But then when it comes time to now, I'm in New York and I'm like, people are like, so tell me about yourself. I'm like, that's a loaded question. <laughs> what do I lead with? What what decade do you want to know about? Like, what part do you want to know about? And I have no idea where to start. I'm a little bit confused, you well, know? So yeah, that's something that's still a work in progress and figuring out how to, like I said, like really create your story that encompasses the complexity
0: of your experience yeah. and the d- complexity and diversity of your experience. Yeah. And I think what's also unique about it is that because we've been... Um, Uh, vacillating between so many different types of people and cultures. I think what's unique, I think that's the same for you, is that we've been able to really connect with people regardless of where they're from. And I think that's such a gift that I think we all need to cultivate, especially in this time when things are so divisive. Like, I know that we both, even for example, just generation-wise, you know, I have friends in Paris that are like, 80 and up, you know, that I just <laughs> that I never really had in the U.S. And yeah. that I think just the fact that you're at a you're an Anglophone, English speaking person in France, you gravitate towards other people who also speak English. But that opens up the connection that you might not normally have in the States.
1: Yeah, yeah, like you. Yes, because of those things, you're connected to people that you might not have otherwise been connected to, because you're automatically outside of your comfort zone and your own circle. So you're just, yeah, you're moving between, you're moving in different spaces, which is a great opportunity, but it's also difficult, you know, um, and it requires you really to be flexible and open um, and to share to share other parts of yourself, and that and that's actually where the French part could be good, because you're not just like. I am a this. It's like, I am a person who thinks this way. These are my ideals. So you can unify with people versus on various different various different things than you might have in other contexts because you have to,
0: you know? Yeah. Because I we do um, have so many international perspectives. One thing that I found valuable is that I'm around people who don't think like me. And mm-hmm. I've learned how to dialogue with people who don't think like me. And I allow the, their perspective to also help me shape Maybe a different angle of what my viewpoint is, and yeah. I we need that now so much more than we, we ever did.
1: Yeah, for sure. I mean, that's what I was raised believing. The benefit of travel is is to really just understand different people's lifestyles and different people's perspective. Like we said, neither of us realized how American we were maybe until we moved to to to
0: France. You know, I was in the Philippines, and I, I was the American girl there, so.
1: France was my first live abroad experience and you're from the Philippines, but you know, going after having lived in America, going back, that's a different experience than having been born there. Um, and so for me, that was really the first time. And it's funny because now I spend a lot of time in Jamaica. Uh, I also realized the differences too, between certain mindsets in Jamaica, that America is close as my family is and as close as, you know, some of the cultural things are, I I realize that too. And it just makes me hypersensitive, which I think is a positive thing. And like you said, during this time, the only way that we can make change and move forward is being more aware and conscientious of the different experiences that people are living. Like not assuming that anything is monolithic. Even the black experience in America is not monolithic. Every black person is not doing the same thing, Mm -hmm. thinking the same thing right now, fighting for the fight in the same way at all. And so I think that's really important to know the... We use the word again, which I forgot. Now, just like the the complexities and also the nuances of experience.
0: Yeah, and cultivating our ability to like really be open to people, even if they don't think like us. You know,
1: Absolutely. obviously when they don't think like us, because you have something to learn and something to teach, possibly. Why not?
0: Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. Well, we're wrapping up the conversation, and I have just an, one last question for you. So, for people who are considering the yeah. move abroad. Would you recommend it? And what advice would you give someone who's considering, you know, someone who's like, look, I'm out of here.
1: <laughs> absolutely. I mean, you can reach out to me to ask like more personal questions about your, ex- like whatever your experience is. But I absolutely recommended. I, I mean, I didn't get to study abroad when I was in college. And so this felt like the opportunity when I moved to Paris originally, again, like I said, six months was my little timeline um, or eight months. Uh, I. It's an invaluable experience and living in Paris has absolutely changed my life. And I think you just have to remember um, that every experience has positive and negative things to it. Because I always say, because of course being there, a lot, I've seen a lot of people come through Paris and leave Paris. And a lot of people are like, I'm going to be here forever. And then leave within the first six months. Whereas people like me who are kind of like, "Oh, I'm going to see, ended up staying way longer than people who are dead set. Like, this is the place for me. And so keeping an open mind is the most important part and like getting as much information as you can from different people who are living there, who've had that experience and thinking about what you want to get out of it. Like ultimately I think I wanted to get love, which I didn't get, (laughs) but beyond that I was really open-minded about, this is just an opportunity for me to learn about myself and to challenge what i grew up thinking and see in a different context that that still holds true and to learn about other people and that i absolutely got and it's a gift that keeps on giving so if you go into it with that kind of perspective you'll definitely have a good time because you're just open yeah. um, and that's kind of the best advice i would give is be open to the experience and not kind of set up what it must look like or how you must feel like Give yourself grace, which is also the message that I'm passing on during this time in general. Like, Mm. give yourself grace. We are going through a time, and if you live abroad, you'll be going through something you've never gone through before. So give yourself, extend yourself compassion and grace to feel uncomfortable, to feel upset or nervous or anxious or unproductive. Like, give yourself grace, Mm. and you'll have a better experience in life.
0: Yeah. And I want to add to that in that, like, it's not necessarily advice on how to get here, but more so like dare to imagine that this life could be possible for you, like design the life that you want to believe that it's possible for you. Because I'm I come from a very humble Filipino family. Um, We're a family of immigrants. We didn't have a lot of money growing up. We had a very modest, um, modest upbringing. I mean, we were comfortable and there was a lot of privileges in that, but we we weren't necessarily like, you know, having all these luxuries growing up um, and my parents worked really hard to get to where they're at. And I'm so proud of them. Um, but I never imagined, I never imagined like at, at, like at a young age growing up in Sacramento, California, which is a, a, a place that where nobody really leaves Sacramento, California, or there, it's very rare that people leave Sacramento. So at that time, living in Paris was not even in my radar. (laughs) And when I walk down the street here all the time, I still pinch myself because I think, oh my God, how did I do this? But it's possible. And being able, we, we, I think coming from communities of color, I think sometimes, especially immigrant families, we are raised with a scarcity mentality, but we, I truly believe that it is our divine right to prosper. Right. Um, yeah. You know, our ancestors didn't go through all of that only for us to play small and mm-hmm. to accept these little boxes that we're supposed to be in. It is our divine right to prosper.
1: I love that, Ruby. Yes, absolutely. Yes. And you can create, and like both of us have since created a life of our own design, like living how we want to live and creating a different lifestyle. And yes, take advantage of that, right? Like I said, you might have this passport and you're not using it. Take advantage of these things that you have because your life could be so much bigger or just more rich than you imagine based on the experiences that you allow yourself to have or to even dream up. I love, I love the divine right to prosper. I love that. I'm going to be taking that
0: Yes, yes. And I hope that whoever's listening, I hope that you take that in too. I know it's maybe impossible or really difficult to imagine that, or maybe you feel selfish thinking about that at such a crazy time. But I think that when you prosper, when you're feeling good, you're able to give so much more and pour so much more of yourself to your community. And you can lift others up when you are feeling you're in a higher place, right? Like when you're stressed, you know, I've been in a space where I felt really Stress. And it was very hard for me to be giving. Um, For sure. So let's aim to prosper and to grow together and be in abundance. And something, another thing that I want to share is actually from another Oakland artist, Jennifer Johns. I love this line that she says, like, we should all be aiming to give from our excess and not our essence, you know? Mm -hmm. So. That I think is a good place to end. Me, I love this conversation. Yes, our divine right to prosper. Let's claim that. Um, And very last thing, shola for all the people who want to find you. How can they find you and find your
1: music? Yeah, so I like I released an album four years ago. I'm working on new music, so new music should be coming out this year, <laughs> depending on how this year goes. But you can find me at sholaadesaferar.com. I'm also on Instagram. I'm pretty active on sholaadesaferar or ash whatever. <laughs> Just sholaadesaferar. I'm on all the things on Facebook, on Instagram, my website, all of that. Yes,
0: cool. And I like to well. talk
1: to people. Reach out.
0: Yes. And um, if you have any questions about music or just Paris life, you are all welcome to reach out to both me and Shola. And you can Um, find me
1: on Spotify. That's where my music is. And when I do collaborations with other people that you'll find the music there too.
0: Perfect. Yeah. I think you should all go to Spotify right now and look up Shola. That's what my
1: album looks like back there. That's my vinyl. (laughs) So yes, that's that.
0: Yay. Well, thank you. Um, if you are tuning in or if you're uh seeing the playback, thank you so much for taking the time to watch and listen to our conversation. You know, I That's always great. try. Yeah. What's that?
1: I said let us know what you think if you're listening to the conversation. I mean, we had some pretty
0: rich Yeah, let us know. Message yes. us. Send Unity. Yes, send us a message. You can even send it on the chat while it's still up, but um. Thank you all for watching. As always, this is Grit and Glamour, conversations, honest conversations about the grind toward the glow up that you don't see on the gram. So thank you all so much for tuning in. I'm your host, Ruby Veriano, and I hope to see you next time. Merci. Au revoir. Au revoir. Thank you for joining me on this episode of Grit and Glamour. If you found something inspiring or valuable in this show, I'd appreciate you sharing with a friend. Look out for the next episode and hope you'll tune in next time. Here's to all the grit behind the glamour. Keep shining!